Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. We're in a little bit since the last episode, but it's a uh, it's gonna be a fun episode. Uh, guest this week, first timer back. We were in from our Richmond connections from John last week. Now we're back to my New York contention uh, connections. Our the guest this week is John Luca, or better known as Feta. Introduce yourself, John Luca Hala. You can say anything you want right now. We're not under any like guidelines, so you can just go off. Oh, that's good to know that I'm not restricting my speech here. But what's up, James? I'm happy to be here. First time on, trying to be a regular. I'm glad that you called me up for the hookup to talk about movies this week. Oh man, good options. You know, you now you know this guy. He's already he's already lining up to get on uh, uh, relatively shortly. So I ask everybody, every single person that comes onto this show. So you're not special. I mean, you are special, but maybe not in this circumstance. All right. What's your relationship with movies in general? Do you watch a lot of them? Do you not watch a lot of them? And also, another question about that is, uh, what's your favorite movie ever? So two questions so, there for you. I'm not a big watcher of movies. I'll watch certain movies because I think that some comedies are just like replayed and they're just cheap gags that aren't really as funny as they are. And a lot of movies don't have great plots. So I fell out of love with watching movies, but I'll still watch a lot of Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, even though they've been horrible over the last, like, seven Star Wars movies. Wait, whoa, seven? Honestly, favorite movie of all time, The Dark Knight. Wait, wait a second. was amazing as a director in that Dark Knight trilogy. Now, okay, Dark Knight with you. Love that movie. I've had two guests last week. John's never seen it, so people haven't seen that movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, unfortunately. But going back I can to recite that movie line for line. That's I, just a disgrace. He said, I said to him, uh, a, a great man once said, if you're good at something, never do it for free. He didn't know who I was, who that was. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but going back for a second, let's, let's, let's back up. Let's back up for a second. You just said they haven't made a good movie in seven of them. Are you implying that Revenge... Uh, Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith aren't good movies. Is that what I heard just there? Uh, Revenge of the Sith was a, was a good movie, but I'm talking about like the Han Solo movie. I didn't like okay. Uh, okay. all their spinoffs. The, the third part of the trilogy, the third trilogy, which is terrible all to begin with. It's you been were... a long time since Disney's made a good movie. Since what, like 2003? <laughs> 17 years they haven't made a good Star Wars movie? My God. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Time out, time out, though. I thought you liked The Last Jedi. I did not like... Oh, I liked that first. But then I, over time, I'm just like, this movie literally just makes no sense. Ah, yes, sir. Okay, finally. Join the club. Because, like, the whole point of Star Wars, the original trilogy, was Luke seeing that they're still good in his father. And he believed when his father, who was the second most evil man in the entire galaxy, was still not too late to be saved and could be turned good. He slaughtered and his children. His own nephew was too late to be saved from Snoke, which was a clone, by the way. Not even by the Emperor who died, but dying's not a real figment in this yeah. universe anymore. Because yeah. everyone can just use the Force nowadays, apparently, and just save life, which was never in the original trilogies or in any trilogy ever. And he was just like, you know what? Too late. Let me just slaughter the child, my own nephew. Yeah, Tom and, won't be that upset. And let me not tell my, my sister about it either. Let's just, you know, he's done. He's a lost cause, right? Yeah, lost cause. That makes a lot of sense. Um, 
right? But unfortunately or unfortunately, this this episode's not about Star Wars, but we do have a lot of uh, big news to get to, put it that way. Um, so first, let's just start with the uh, some big news about coronavirus. Obviously, we talked about this earlier, how moves, films have continued to move. Um, if you saw in our description below last episode when we released it, uh, we didn't know that Soul was move release dates, but it did to November. So that was now the the next movie, the next big movie that's still scheduled to be re- released on time, is a tentatively tentative. This is not a pun. I mean, it's a pun, but I'm not. I don't mean this to be a pun, John. Not intentional. It's a non-intentional pun, but I've walked right into it, and I and I apologize to everyone who has to hear this. But the next scheduled movie to release in cinemas, tentatively, is uh. The biggest movie, I should say, not the only movie, but the biggest movie is Tenet. Tentatively, Tenet, ha, ha, ha. But that's July 17th. Technically, I wanted to make the pun, I'm sorry, but the, the movie that's, the biggest movie that's supposed to be released um, uh, is The Purge 5, which is supposed to release the week before, July 10th. But at this moment, there's no wide-released films getting released until, in theaters, until June, July 10th, obviously, that's for scheduled. That's obviously, you know, doesn't mean it's going to happen. But that's just for scheduled releases. Uh, so that's something that, that big happened over the week. Uh, Soul actually moved, and I said this, I brought this up in the description, moved to the same weekend as King Kong vs. Godzilla. So now in the month of November, you have tentatively, November 6th, you have Black Widow. November 20th, you have... Godzilla vs. Kong and Pixar's Soul, and then November 25th, you have No Time to Die. Which, oh my, what a loaded, loaded, loaded bunch of movies. Yeah, so, um, but I'm going to get to that in a little bit, a uh, little bit about that release schedule, but also there were some more releases, changes, a, ma- a, a complete massive one, uh, Venom, Moved release stasis, so they were originally scheduled for this October. Of uh, Venom Two, Venom. There, what was the name of the uh, uh, John Luca? Venom. It was um, Let There Be Carnage. Yes, like that's not the worst. Uh, that's not the worst uh, uh, thing you've ever heard. But they moved uh, uh, Venom Two or Venom Let There Be Carnage or whatever the hell they want to call it uh, was scheduled to be released in October, um, but they moved from. Uh, uh, October to then uh, Ju- June 25th, 2021, which was the release date, date occupied by Batman, the new um, film with Robert Pattinson as Batman, as Batman. By the way, what are your thoughts on Robert Pattinson as Batman? I just think nothing will ever live up to Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy, so I don't even bother with yeah, that. You're, you're one of those guys, aren't you? You're one of those. I don't think he's going to be good. Like, you watch... You don't. Bat Batman is like good though. Batman, like I thought he was horrible. I don't know what he's the only good part of the movie. What are you talking about? Dude, I'm just saying I will never think there will be another good Batman after I watch what uh, Christopher Nolan did with his Dark Knight trilogy, and I just don't think that this Robert Pattinson rendition of Batman is gonna be any good. I'm sorry. It's a hot thing, but I just don't we think got, we got a radical on our hands, chance. folks. We got a radical on our hands here. Radical over here. No. I, I love the movies, it. but yeah, I love the movies. But um again, not about Batman, fortunately or unfortunately. But so when Venom uh leaves October 2nd, 2020, now that's an opening on the release date, and that's important. 
potentially for the studio that's been hurt most by coronavirus, which is Warner Brothers. They've had multiple films get undercut by changes in release. Disney's basically dared them now to move King Kong vs. Godzilla by putting a big, big movie like Soul next to them, opening right next to them. So now, I, I mean, I, I've read an article about this, um, but it's just Pew, Pew Forbes, but potentially, uh, I wouldn't be shocked, uh, and the article argues this, this is from Scott Mendelson of Forbes, that either Tenet, slated for July 17th, Wonder Woman, 1984, slated for 18th, August 14th, or King Kong and Godzilla, Godzilla will try to move into that slot to occupy that, that time. So, Continuous shifting. Uh, we'll see if hopefully the theaters can be open and life can be normal. But I don't know. I, I don't doubt know. it. I feel like people were already not going to movies to watch all these movies because either a they didn't like the overpriced uh, the ticket and all the snacks to going to the movie theater when they could just wait and get the release on cable, Netflix, and just online in general. But also this mass fear that we still have over the coronavirus, and until there's really a a cure or a vaccine for it, I can't imagine that many people are going to be going out of their way to go to the movie theaters and watch these movies. Yep, that's that's for sure. Speaking of talking about cable or other methods, so Trolls World Tour was the first movie to uh, move, uh, to go straight to video. That was a big release. And now Scoob, Scooby-Doo, has joined them. They're supposed to release now May 15th straight to video, which is like a pay-per-view type style. Uh, so that's another that's another big movement. That's also from Warner Brothers as well. That's another movie that they've gotten hurt by for Warner Brothers. Did you like Scooby Doo when you were a kid, Jungle? I love Scooby Doo. Of course. Who, who couldn't like Scooby Doo? I uncultured swines. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I did now. Um, <laughs> but hey, you know what they say? C'est la vie. That's what the French say. That is life. Um, all right, so that's really all I have for the news aspect of everything. Hopefully, coronavirus uh, can get under control. But we debuted it last week. It's coming back. It's time for the Bastone Blur. Uh, John Luca, if you do the honors, I, I think we want to start out with Stuber. So you're going to say the uh, plot synopsis. I mean, the Rotten Tomatoes synopsis and whatnot. And if you're new, to, if you don't know, maybe this is your first time listening to this show with the segment with it. Uh, I just basically say I give my Rotten Tomatoes blurb. So I give like maybe I would recommend it or I didn't recommend it. And last week we did Knives Out, Good Boys, and It Chapter 2. And I sometimes I, I'm not uh, tied to the critics. So I'm an, I'm like a loose cannon when it comes to this. So, uh, Fetty, you want to get us started off with Stuber? All right. So, Stuber, the critics' consensus is though it made a strong case for future collaborations between. Kumail Najani and Dave Bautista, Stuber fails to mesh its contrasting genres, settling for an overtly violent, mildly entertaining diversion that's far from a five-star ride. Now, the audience score was 79%. However, Ron Tomato gave it only 41%. Thoughts? Oh, wow. This was also released by Disney, technically under the 20th Century Banner, 20th Century Fox Banner. It integrated the box office. Uh, By the way, what was Dave Bautista's profession before acting? Do you know John Luca? Wasn't he a WWE wrestler? Yes, yes. I walk alone. No, Bautista actually. But anyways, so I said, Stuber for Stuber, carried by the chemistry yeah. of its two leads, this movie knows what it is and what it is not. So I gave it a good score. I thought it was a funny movie. It's a silly diversion. You're not supposed to think much of it. 
And it wasn't long. It was a shorter movie. Uh, it was only like around an hour and a half. So I liked it. I thought it was a funny comedy. Like, I'm not expecting this to be, you know, cinema at its finest. So I had no problems with this movie. Now, here's my question for you. You said it didn't do well, but the box office doubled its budget. So can you really say it didn't perform as well as the studio would have liked it to? Uh, well, that's a, yeah. Okay, that's actually not a bad point. What I'd say is, is that um, it didn't, let's put it this way. It made $32 million, right? Yep. And even though its budget was at $16, $32 million is like still not enough to, uh, you have to get more. Like, so like times two, its budget isn't good enough. If you make, let's say a hundred million dollars, if your budget's at a hundred million dollars, you only make 200 million, you're not getting a sequel. So you need to get at least two and a half. That's like really skimming the barrel. You, you know, you gotta get like, t if it made, you know, 50 million or, you know, 55 million, that's more of a legit success. 32 million is more of a, they probably just wrote, wrote it as a write-off anyway. I mean, it's not a big movie for them. They had, you know, last year they had like no, obviously the not. Warriors lineup times MJ and Magic Johnson, but you know, we talked about that. We talked about that every week. So congrats to Disney for having the greatest lineup last year of movies for box office. So get an A for that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a second Stuber movie. And the audience <laughs> seems to like it. I expect that the studio would play to its fans and to its audience, even though it doesn't make the most money in the world. I think I will be seeing a second Stuber sometime in the future. How about this? How about this? A spinoff spin series on Disney Plus. How about that? Give Disney. I wouldn't be watching it, but I think some people would. I would be too busy watching The Mandalorian when that comes out. But, you know, if they decide to do a spinoff series, I don't think a lot of people would be opposed to it. Yeah, give, give Disney Plus a some, like, adult content, because I hear they don't have a lot of that. I mean, I don't, I don't watch Disney Plus, but. You haven't seen The Mandalorian? Nope. I don't plan on seeing it. Really? I don't watch. I don't really watch streaming services. Oh, you'd actually like it. It's actually really well done. I see. Everyone says that. I, everyone says you don't like this. You don't like you know the Star Wars and all this, but you'd like the Mandalorian. And I'm like, maybe I would. Maybe I wouldn't. But I guess, the show actually has like a plot to it. They didn't just go like randomness. Like there's actually like progression throughout each of the episodes that actually leads to it semi-decent plot uncompared to the last trilogy that we got from Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, but that's nowhere here or there. Yeah. All right. Like, let's get to a Lego Movie 2 now. Speaking of Batman, Lego Movie 2. Am I right or am I right? Uh, what was the critics' consensus uh, for that one? Uh, okay. I guess you're right. So the critics' consensus was, while it isn't quite as much fun as its predecessor, Lego Movie 2, the second part, fits neatly into an animated all-ages franchise with heart and humor to spare. Now, unlike Stuber, audience score gave it under 70% at 68. However, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 85%. James, what do you think about this? I thought whoever didn't like this movie is on crack and doesn't understand what a good kids movie is because I said, while it lacks, while its lack of rules may distract more cynical viewers, it is one of the funniest kids' movies of recent memory. I mean, I really, I'm really i still working on the blurb, so give me time here, folks. But I thought it was funny. I, I was laughing the entire movie. I thought it was genuinely funny. In the end, I didn't like... The rules of the movie were like... I didn't really want to try not to think too much. It really didn't make a lot of sense. But, I mean, it has Chris Pratt and it has uh, Will Arnett. It has uh, Will Ferrell's even in it. Elizabeth Banks in it. 
uh, Tin Tiffany Haddish. She has like a really good uh a really good a uh, really good cast. But I just thought it was a funny movie. I really did. I but speaking of sequels, this movie will definitely this movie bombed uh for uh you know uh for Warner Brothers, another studio that's really struggling. But I know I liked it. Sorry, not sorry. I guess I don't know. Well, that's why this is your show. Whatever you like goes. Yeah, I mean, I tell you this, uh, Feta, the superhero movie, the soup because there's like the Justice League's in this movie. They're better than the Justice League in uh, <laughs> the live action version. I'm probably not gonna tell you on that. I actually think that's true. Yeah, can't go much lower than there. So. Yeah, but um, I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna keep saying that until I can't say it no more. Uh. All right, well, that's all I have for the best on Blurb. And now we got time for Apocalypse Now, our main event of the evening, scheduled for one fall. Nope, it's not Dave Bautista. But the critics' consensus for Apocalypse Now was Francis Ford Coppola's, Coppola's excuse me, haunting hallucinatory Vietnam War epic is cinema at its most audacious and visionary. It has a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's... Fabio also. It has a 94% audience score, so audiences really like it. And it has a stellar cast, Martin Sheen's in it, Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, Harrison Ford actually has a cameo. Dennis Hopper is very entertaining. Uh, John, could you want to just give a two-minute, maybe, or if you want to, like, you know, get re-exercised re in the what the movie was about, just give a bit, like, maybe a two-minute, three-minute plot synopsis what happened in the movie so people know where we're going and what we're talking about here. All right. So basically what happened in this movie is that there is a captain that the United States government has hired to assassinate a rogue colonel. So basically Captain Benjamin Willard is sent on this mission into Vietnam to go find this rogue colonel, Captain or Colonel Kirk. And throughout this mission, he meets a bunch of bunch of characters such as uh, Lieutenant Colonel Kilgore, who is really only interested in surfing. It's not as bad as a captain as you'd see. But the whole point of the movie is to show that Colonel Kurtz is not really as deviated from the United States government as you would like to believe. Now, the entire thing is basically a, not really a satire, but it displays true distrust for why the Americans were at war or why they were even there in Vietnam to begin with. So along this journey, you see senseless violence by the Americans. You see them absolutely slaughtering Vietnamese uh, people and their citizens. And you see the backlash that it, gave, that it gave against those countries. One of the most famous lines of the movie is from Lieutenant Colonel Kilgore. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> ab an absolute, absolute savage line. But at the same time, you look at that from the from the people of the inland of Vietnam, absolutely slaughtered everyone, everyone within the site, destroying all their plants, crops, lives, putting all their citizens at fear. So the entire movie basically is a feeling of showing how the American public reacted to the whole point of the Vietnam War, which I think which is important in context because this was the first war that people actually got to see in front of their eyes. We had photographers, videographers showing the horrors of war and which turned the United States people against its government for the reason we were in the Vietnam War to begin with. Now, we get to the end of the movie. Benjamin Willard finds his 
finds his target, Colonel Kurtz, right? After losing two of his men, one of them got shot when um, another surfer who is a soldier, because there was a draft at the time, was throwing smoke flares in the air. So the Vietnamese people saw him and shot one of the young kids clean. The other person that died was another captain. He was speared through the heart and almost tried to kill the main character, Captain Benjamin Willard. Now, the first person narrative drags on a little bit. And the movie seems a little bit boring, but it's a longer movie, so we can get away with that. Now, the the ending of the movie, which is a very interesting, very, very interesting movie, is we see that Colonel Curse isn't as off the deep end as we would like to think. And you can see that Captain Benjamin Willard was also thinking that way. Now, the problem is, people believe that he's God himself, that Colonel Will, that Colonel Kurt is God himself, and they'll believe anything he says. And he ends up being killed by Willard, as his original mission was told, told him to do so. Now, as he's walking out, he's walking out with the text that Colonel Kurtz was giving speeches to his people, recording. As he walks out, you just hear his dying last words of Kurtz saying, the horror, the horror. And that's what this war really was. A bunch of blood and gore and horror. Now, I'm sorry this wasn't two minutes, but this was my honest opinion. And I was told that I should not be diminished of any words in my thoughts on a movie. But that's just my opinion on it. It was a very good movie. One of the most accurate depictions of war that we've ever seen in a movie, besides Saving uh, Private Ryan. And all in all, it deserves to be critically acclaimed as it is. It's an absolutely amazing movie. I recommend it to anyone. James, do you fault me for any of this? Well, uh, my overall thoughts was that I lo- I I'll say this right now. Um, it has probably one of my I'm, I'm I mean one of the best fight scenes I've seen uh, with Cap when they're like uh, Cap- Colonel Kilgore has to Robert Duvall's character has to get Martin Sheen through basically to the river in order to get to uh, Kurtz. But they have to, you know, advance in order to do that. And I just thought it was a sprawling fight scene. It felt real. Like like you said, it was very real and all that. So I thought that was wonderful. And to kind of piggyback what you said about this movie being a tremendous movie, well, it was was nominated as such. For the Academy Awards, uh, the 52nd Academy Awards, it was not, and this movie was also released in 1979. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Screenplay, Best Sound, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. It won Best Cinematography, and it won Best Sound. That was eight Academy Awards, two wins. Um, Martin Sheen actually wasn't nominated, but the only, so the only character was Robert Duvall. But there were some fabulous, fabulous performances. I want to start out, though, first uh, with... With your thoughts, you actually touched on it. We're going to save some of what you said for the end, uh, John Luca, if that's fine with you. But I want to get your thoughts on a couple things in particular. And my first my first thing is, what do you think, what do you think boils, what do you really think the characterization is maybe of Captain Willard? Because to me, I think it's it's very complicated. So I don't know what your thoughts on on that, Captain Willard and his characterization, his character as a whole. Well, my characterization of Captain Willard is, you know how when the uh, soldiers or the Nazi soldiers were tried at the Nuremberg trial, 
Nuremberg. I, I forget the actual name. And they were saying, we were just taking orders. We didn't have a say in what we can or can't do. We were just taking orders and doing what we were told. And at the beginning of the movie, that's what Captain Willard was. He was just an English soldier just taking orders. Just from a far away, third-party perspective. But over time, his, his character develops as he sees all the horror that goes on in war and how it's not as glorious as everyone says it is. You start to see him change his view on maybe the colonel who I'm supposed to kill isn't as radical as I thought it was. Maybe I shouldn't just be blindly following my government because they told me some dude is bad, that he's bad. I have to make judgments for myself on who is bad. Now, at the end of the day, he did complete his orders, but he was able to make an assessment for himself of what was really going on in Vietnam versus just blindly following orders, just blind fit, like just blind faith, essentially. But he did, he did, a, he did fulfill the orders, though. Right, he did kill Kurtz. I mean, he did successfully obtain the goal at the end. Right, so I mean, yeah, he, but you, but you saw throughout that there was trials and tribulations of him trying to figure out who was really right in this. Where was his government right in this, or was the Vietnam government right, or was Colonel Kurtz right? And he wasn't as radical as everyone said. And you saw throughout the movie his thought process essentially because it was a first-person narrative perspective of. Him starting to, I guess, revolt against the status quo of the government and start to think for himself. Mm. I, I, I respect that. I, I mean, I, I buy that. I, I wouldn't be as, I'm not as sort of to the maybe extreme as you when it comes to that. Because I still think at the end of the day, he doesn't go, he doesn't fully embrace that, right? He doesn't fully, because he doesn't, you know, uh, for example, stay there or he leaves and he accepts his order, and obviously there's room for interpretation at the end, because obviously it doesn't really... I mean, it ends the story, but obviously there's more to the story than just what's on screen, of course. But I, I will give you what he does say, you know, they're going to make me colonel for this and not even part of their army anymore, which I think speaks credence to you, and I, and I do agree with what you're saying. But I, what I will say is, I guess, maybe for me in particular, is that Willard started out the movie as sort of uh, directionalist, right? He's in the hotel and, you know, he's like hungover and he's already like being pretty hallucinatory, or not hallucinatory, maybe necessarily, but is the right word, but like very aggressive, so to speak. And, you know, and yeah. they, they have to, you know, like wake him up and like put him under a shower. So he already starts out sort of uh, broken, which I don't think is a small detail. I don't really know where I'm going with that. But if you kind of see what I'm trying to say, like he, because it's not like he starts out as like you know just like sir yes sir you know I'm happy you know oh, he doesn't start mis he's not like Kilgore for example right he's not like Colonel Kilgore that's kind of my point yeah but if you looked if you looked at it he was even though he wasn't sir yes sir in the beginning and he was hungover as soon as he got to the meeting with some with the majors to get his information for his classified detail it was sir yes sir you can count on me to get this mission done. It was just blind following, eventually. Also, I got to say about that scene. I mean, look, I, Harrison Ford. My dang, man. Dang. This was like right in the middle of Star Wars, too. He was a hot commodity at the time. <laughs> I, and, I mean, rightfully so. He's phenomenal. 
I mean, I just found that to be crazy. The fact that, and I can't, I also, on that point, Lawrence Fishburne, he's like our age. It's crazy. Like, you know, like how you see actors yeah. get older and whatnot when you see them when they're old. It's just wild. Yeah, I mean, we saw, obviously, if you were listening last week, we had, like, uh, we watched uh, Taxi Driver, and yeah. Jodie Foster's in it. She's, like, 14 years old. And now, you know, the girl who, uh, the woman who was in uh, Silence of the Lambs, Jodie Foster, like, and then you see her, and she's, like, 15, and she looks the exact same. It's crazy. Um, That's what plastic surgery will do for you. All right, everybody, I recovered from uh, John Lucas' wonderful joke. but So we're back talking about Apocalypse Now. And obviously we talked about sort of, uh, we actually kind of ended on Lawrence Fishburne, so we're going to pick it up right from that. Lawrence Fishburne's character, Clean, dies in the middle of the movie, unfortunately, for himself, obviously. Uh, well, for the character, I mean, Lawrence Fishburne didn't die. I mean, I hope he wouldn't die. Because uh, uh, one of the soldiers, like John uh, Lucas said, was like having flares going off, and they got spotted by the Viet Cong or the Vietnamese and got shot. And I thought this this scene was like really important, had a lot of symbolism to it because uh, there was while he was dying, while Clean was dying, a, vo- a voice recording of his mother was playing. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, John Lucas? Your thoughts on on the death scene? Yeah, I just thought it made the death scene, excuse me, a lot more personal, right? You were hearing his mother saying how his father's working so hard to buy him a car and how much they missed him and how much she loves him. And at the same time, he's he's essentially shot dead. And then five seconds later, he says, just avoid bullets. You'll come back home. We all miss you. We all love you. I just think it was just so, made the death so much more personal and emotionally hitting. I know it did for me. I don't know about you, James. No, it, no, it definitely did. Especially like, it, it's, that's one of the great things about anything, any genre is when there's so much, something so simple, yet it's so very good. Like it's, does it, the fact that it's simple doesn't make it bad. You know what I mean? Like the symbolism yeah. there is very simple, but it's great. And I think a lot of movies like try to grasp for the stars when they got the, when they got the nice thing right in front of them. I also think it's no small detail that his name is clean. As well, what that implies, because he's not—he doesn't have like a name. I'm sure he wasn't born clean. You know, his name wasn't clean. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder how he got that nickname. Like Chef was got his nickname because he was a chef. Lance never really got a nickname. I was just wondering how Clean got his nickname Clean. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't. Maybe they may have talked about it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Speaking, I, of, I don't remember if they did. Speaking of Chef, obviously he's one of the characters that's kind of unhinged, so to speak. Uh, pretty crazy. And speaking of that, building off that idea of being unhinged, let's talk a little bit about the place with no commanding officer. Because I think this is actually quite important to the story as a whole. But do you want to talk a little bit about this scene, uh, lay the groundwork, and then kind of talk about your thoughts on the scene as a whole? Yeah, so there was a scene where um, Willard and his basically escorting men show up at this bridge. And they find a bunch of soldiers that were wanting to leave. But Willard went out to find the commanding officer to see exactly where they were and who is actually in charge in that area. And he finds two two black African-American soldiers basically aimlessly shooting at the Viet Cong. And no one knew exactly who the chief officer was. 
as he walked back to the ship, um, it was just it was just so lost. Like everything was just so lost, and it, it just felt like senseless violence, just for the sake of senseless violence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there was no objective. There was no goal. It was just crazy. Exactly. And 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 the setting really supported that as well because. It was like almost like fireworks. It was like a magic show. It was like you know flares getting shot, and there was an oil rig with like stuff exploded. Yeah, right. So I just thought uh, it was crazy, and I think it's really important for the movie because at least for me, it's representative of sort of what Kurtz. It gives weight to what Kurtz talks about later on in the movie, right? About that senselessness, about that uh, craziness. Did you did you get that? Uh, do you understand what I'm putting down? Do you like what I'm putting down, so to speak? Uh, yeah, I do. And that's what I meant the entire time of uh, Willard learning that maybe Kurtz wasn't as radical, radical as the government thought. And she was starting to see that Kurtz maybe wasn't wrong about all this stuff. And I think that scene was one of the most pivotal scenes in the entire movie to prove that point, especially to Willard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, and I also think that another, maybe it's a more subtle point, but a point that I got from it as well is the fact that it's crazy, but you know, if you're in a, if you're in a, if you're in kind of a hectic situation, or maybe not even hectic, but this have you know this situation happened to be hectic, of course. But if you don't have a leader, or if you don't have someone or people, not even a leader, but leaders or people who are willing to step up, you're just gonna have craziness. Especially when you give people guns and they got you know probably I'm sure they got Mother Nature with them, and you know uh, Lance was on like LSD the entire movie. So I'm sure, like, that that contributed to it. I just think it's crazy how, like, anarchy just breaks out without without an order, without a kill gore, so to speak. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what kind of happens. I guess that's kind of what happens when you leave a bunch of people who are not trained to basically, like, fend for themselves in the wild. You saw the same thing in one of the best, one of the most famous books of all time, Lord of the Flies. You let all the boys onto an island to fend for themselves and just turned into savagery and chaos. Yeah. And that's exactly what this movie portrayed. It was fantastically done. Yeah, yeah. That book is that book's definitely wacky, put it that way. And oh, also it, it, that, that that book trips me out. Oh I, I literally feel like I'm Lance while reading that book. Just give me a tab of acid. <laughs> um speaking of books, a funny little known fact, this or maybe it's not little. I don't want to speak for anybody. But it was I didn't know this. It's it this book this movie's actually loosely based off a book. Uh, really? What book? Yeah, uh, it's the Joseph Conrad's Heart of Dark- Darkness, which was published in 1899. It basically is about like men on the Congo River, and uh, it tells the story of how they, you know, they uh, they were like a steamboat captain, and they were working for like a Belgian trading company that you know like exploits exploits like the African population and whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I it was, like, loosely based off because it deviates heavily from, obviously, like, you know, Vietnam and, uh, you know, a lot of other stuff. And, like, for example, like, the names of the characters are similar to Kurtz and Mal- Malor. Uh, Mal- uh, like, Kurtz has a dynamic with another character named Mal- Malro. Malro. Um, and so, like, it concludes instead of, like, you know, Kurtz, you know, going insane and, you know, or insane in quotes and like, you know, doing that and dying. The novella ends with like Kurtz dying on the trip back. Kind of. So it's like a different, obviously a different uh, plot, but it's the same sort of, it has the same, you know, ideas, put it that way. Yeah. Um, So, eh, okay. 
so now we talked kind of about setting the groundwork for Kurtz. Now let's just hit the heavy hitter here. Let's actually get to Kurtz now. You hit on it. He's not as crazy as maybe you led to believe. Kurtz, the reason why this movie kind of bothered me is because I thought it was great, but I don't know if it quite stuck the landing for me. I didn't really know. I thought, like, it just... It wasn't aggressive enough to me. His, you know, what the what the movie was trying to get across, for example, about being, like you said, kind of like questioning and stuff, was just muddled. I don't know if that came across to you. I thought just the ending was muddled to me. Yeah, I definitely feel like the ending wasn't as great as I would have liked it to be. And it, it did seem kind of muddled towards the end. But I, I don't know. I can't, like, I'm distraught. I feel like it's, feels like part of it was this justice, but at the same time, it was everything it needed to be at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, so, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm kind of short on that. I, I actually, I, I understand that. To me, though, I really think that I did not truly, like, what he was saying, what he was doing, what Kurtz was doing, like, he kind of just started rambling, which is not necessarily a bad thing, of course. Of course, it's not. that's not a bad thing, of course. But, you know, you also have to have meaning to the rambling. I got into this argument with, like, Moses when it came to Space Odyssey. But to me, you know, you can ramble, which is fine. But if all you have to say is a simple concept, I don't need 30 minutes to get that. You know, like, I just thought it was dragging maybe a little too long. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it was a little, like you said, you kind of used the word boring. I mean, it was a little, uh, I don't know. It was a little different, put it that way. It felt like the movie just didn't need to be two hours and 30 minutes. It felt like, it, it just felt like they just added it in for the sake of adding it in. Well, funny enough, the, uh, Frank Capella released like another version of it. That was uh, another 49 minutes. Like oh, it was like boy. the final cut, which, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know, maybe, maybe. You know, I would recommend watching. Yeah, I don't want to say anything. Read an hour, 15 minute movie. No, thank you. Well, there's some good, you can't, look, long movies are not necessarily a bad thing. No, I'm not saying that they aren't, but I feel like for them to be actually successful, it has to be like action packed all the way through. And at times watching this movie, I was like, Oh my God! How much longer do I have in this movie? Yes, yeah, people want to make a three-hour, fifteen-minute film. You got to be like an hour into watching the movie. You're like, dude, I feel like I've been sitting here for ten minutes. Yeah, especially near the end, it slowed a lot. Uh, yeah, but I I do want to give out some shout-outs at least to the ending portion. Um, first off, Dennis Hopper, the photographer, was fat. Thought he was fabulous. Uh, oh, he was amazing. He was just. And his rambling, I thought, was good because it got the point across that it was hectic and that, you know, this first off, this guy's on crack anyway. But you put a guy on crack and now he's in like an environment where there's dead bodies over the, over the place. And Brand, Marlon Brando is, you know, talking about, you know, writing the F word on planes. I mean, no wonder the guy's going crazy. <laughs> and I also want to give Marlon Brando credit because this is one of his last like great performances because then he just went downhill from here. But unfortunately for him. I don't mean that in like yeah. a, in a mean way. I just it's true, but <laughs> I don't. Even, I mean, 
look, I'm sorry. I mean, I, you don't. I look. No, you you're not wrong. You're not wrong. The older. Yeah, I just like the fact you don't beat around the bush. Yeah, the older people who listen to this know exactly what I'm talking. I mean, look. Unfortunately, the guy went a little. He's seen his. I mean, I'm not gonna say anything else. Just everyone knows what I'm talking about when I'm what I just said with what I just said. But what do you think about his performance? Obviously, I thought it was fabulous. I'm sure you did as well. Oh yeah, I think that it was a stellar job all around. There were plenty of amazing supporting actors that were phenomenal in their roles. Like, there's there's a reason why this movie was nominated for so many awards. It was just so well done, so well acted by all parts. Like, you really just can't complain about any aspect of it. So building off of Marlon Brando's performance, uh, Feta, John Luca, whatever you want to be called here. Uh, why is your name Feta, by the way? And I mean, let's be real here. Why is your name Feta? Or why is your nickname Feta? Uh, it was a nickname from, it wasn't, it wasn't before high school baseball. It was like middle school baseball. Someone thought that my first name, because my first name is John Luca, was very Italian. So they made a joke saying my middle name must have also been very Italian. So it must have been something like Federici. And I don't know, it's Dick. It's short into feta, so I gotta say, props to him. He made a very impactful nickname. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, so building off, there's a couple of points I want to get to about the movie. Uh, big major points. So the first point is we've kind of talked about it, but that's and it's gonna build off Marlon Brando's character. But I want to save that. I want to save that for the end. This one I don't think is maybe talked about enough. Uh, when I was looking at some of like the critical consent uh, analysis, it's on Wikipedia. Don't give me that much credit. Uh, but there's only, if you think about the cast, the only women that are in the movie are the Playboy models. Am I? I don't. I think that might mean something. I'm not gonna hold my opinion. I don't know. Maybe if that. I mean, if that plays any factor into it, the fact that there's you know obviously very limited women participation. I I think. I think the way that they sexualized women doesn't do wasn't amazing, but I mean it's a movie about war, and at the time there were women allowed to fight in the army or in the war at the time, so there wasn't very very many natural places to insert meaningful women characters into this movie. Right, right. I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying that they they were sexist, but I'm saying, do you think that was a critique at all, or am I grasping here? I don't know. Because I thought, when I think of it, I thought there has to be a reason for that. Like, no one's wives are like, you know, it gets literally basically all men in the movie. I, I don't know. I think, I think you're grasping here. It's a movie about war, and there's not, and women weren't in the war, essentially. Like, the most, the most important woman was uh, when one of the soldiers in Kilgore's unit got his leg blown off, and the woman, the Viet Cong woman, you remember her? Yeah, she, she like basically <laughs> just threw a grenade inside the helicopter and blew it up. And she oh was my like, god! Like, get them, get them, get them! They say, yeah, yeah, that was crazy. Uh, there are Vietnamese Vietnamese women in it, but I meant speaking roles that people could understand. I mean, there weren't many impactful impactful women throughout the entire movie. I mean, I thought maybe they're trying to make a subtle point on gender. I, I just I'm gonna grasp at straws. I just think that like. That's almost such a big thing. I just feel like maybe they're trying to make a point about women's role in society and how maybe I'm grasping. I'm not going to grasp too much, but I'm just saying I feel like well, there's also, something there to I be explored. Just, sorry, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I just think it was such a different time period. 
right? Yeah. Like, this is this movie came out what forty years ago almost. Forty one, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, this movie, like it has it has aged well in certain aspects. It's one of the best movies depicting war that we've ever seen, and it has an age in the aspect of basically social justice in certain aspects. And I think that women's roles were not as important in the 19, late 1970s as they are in 2020 nowadays. Mm-hmm. That's- I think that was just the culture of the time, especially given the plot and the setting of the movie. I, I think we're kind of grasping a straws here, but at the same time, it's just more of a statement about the world and just gender equality at that time yeah. period. Um. All right. I mean, but I'm, not saying, but I'm not saying that I'm not saying it was sexist. I'm just saying, like, right, yeah, yeah. It was just hard for you can't make everyone happy. That's what I'm. Of saying. course, I understand. I understand. Uh, so building off, this is we're kind of doing a little bit of hosh posture, but not really. So building off or changing gears from the woman aspect of the discussion here, would you say this is one of the debate, big debates of the movie? Uh, would you see that it's anti- pro-war or anti-war? Anti-war. I, I think that it's clearly anti-war. Really? Okay. I, I, I'm just saying because... You think it was pro-war? For example, a pro-war argument would be like, it's the glorification of war, the assertion of like American supremacy. Uh, you know, like the USA fostering in its culture in on Vietnam, like destroying villages and stuff. I'm not saying it's pro-war. I'm just saying. I mean, I, I think it's very anti-war. I think that it was just like you saw like all the destruction. Like I could see like it was glorifying the violence of war. But like at the end of the day, I don't think many people can say that this movie was pro-war when one of the most I think underlying details that not many people speak about was the hanging of. Vietnamese men and they were pantsless towards the end of the movie I don't know if you remember this when they first arrived at Kilgore's little temple and he was just swinging around aimlessly like I can't imagine someone saying that that person who is a prisoner of war and a casualty of war is being shed in a pro-war light I think that it was clearly anti-war throughout the entire movie and I think that and just even from a historical context this was the first war that really people gave the government pushback on. And I think that it built on that narrative. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just thought it's one of the the debates because people say uh, that it's potentially, and there's like stories of people saying that, you know, this was sent to their platoons to get like pumped up, to get excited about fighting in battle and stuff. And also like the Ride of the the Valkyries, which is a famous uh, uh, symphony, I guess you'd call it. That I was just that was that was a pretty cool. That was one of the cooler scenes. Oh, that was the best scene in the movie for me. Not hands down the best scene in the movie for me. It's not close. That, that, I agree. That was pretty sick. Uh, so speaking of the best scenes in the movie, we've been kind of hinting at it, but now we're gonna get to really the ending and what it all means. And one of the big criticism of this is that people find it was anticlimactic, which I both think we kind of agree it was a little. Anti- right, I don't want to speak for you, but. Oh, I think, uh, absolutely. I thought the ending could have been way more satisfying for the viewers than it actually was. And then another thing people say is, and this is what I kind of sympathize with, it's a little, it's like contextually like flat almost. It doesn't really end off on a the highest note possible. 
now I, I I think you're more in line with the uh, with the with the uh, philosophy of uh, of Kurtz. I think that his philosophy is like simple. Er, but it's like kind of said in kind of a mumbly way, so it kind of hurts the message a little bit. Now, what are your thoughts on that? The intellectual side of the movie overall. Did you agree I mean, with it, or did you like it? On top of what we already, what we already said, but yeah, the floor is yours. Sorry. Um, I thought that I I really didn't like the ending. Like it felt like the whole character, um, character development. Um, Willard was so that he would realize that um, his target wasn't really the bad guy after all. And it just felt like when he did kill him, it just reverted everything that the movie was trying to set forward. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the entire time, like, it was like, oh, maybe this war isn't as ethically justified or morally righteous as we once believed. And then at the end of the movie, you slaughter just like the cattle is, or the water buffalo. Sorry, I think that's kind of the point, though. I, I'd say I only interject in saying that because the point of the movie is that no one's fully, I think, right or wrong in that sense. Because like Kurtz isn't a perfect guy, right? And if and if uh, Willard, for example, was to join Kurtz, then it'd feel like as if Willard is, you know, being like that. You know, he's kind of just subverting his role. I think the point is that you know Kurtz is also you know, not, I mean, he's not, I mean, he is necessarily, he's not a great, you know, he's killed people, he's slaughtered people. Yeah. I just don't, I don't, I don't know about that part of what you said, to be honest, but. It it feels like that there were so many, I guess, better ways to end the movie, or I was expecting so much higher or so much of a better ending to what was really a good movie. I thought all like until the last, 25 minutes. I think you can agree with me that the last 25 minutes were just dragged on. They were just like, all right, let's get this over with. Well, and I, I feel like it could have done way better. Well, I'll be honest. Uh, I had to watch this movie in two parts because I fell asleep. So that's not really the best. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, no. I, I'll be honest. I mean, well, Space Odyssey, I had to watch in two parts. If you think this movie's boring at the end, don't watch Space Odyssey. I'll tell you that. If, I don't, if you've oh, seen Space really Odyssey not. or not. I think also like look at losses the monologues make it just drag it on way more than it has to and it's pretty boring. Like the monologues were boring. In what this movie? Some of them were self righteous. Some of them were just plain out like for Kurt, right? Just, just, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I mean, I thought some of the filmmaking with Kurtz when his when his like head was half in the shadows, like, I thought that was really good actually. Uh, but again, I kind of agree with you because it's like intellectually what he was saying wasn't that ground. Maybe because it was more groundbreaking in nineteen seventy nine. I don't know. Like you know. But what, I guess, but what he it, said it, was it, good. It didn't, it didn't translate well to me. Yeah, what he said. I mean, I actually agree with part of what he. I mean, what he said made sense. I mean, so what is what he said has merit. Obviously, you know why is it why is it appropriate to bomb people? But if you say you've right, you know the F word. That's the best line that he ever said. Like that he said. Like, you know, if you bomb people, it's okay. But if you write the F word on your, you know, on your plane, it's uncivilized. Well, why? Right, like, why is that? No, he he told he had a lot of legitimate points. Yeah. I just think that it was a very, I I'm not going to say coward way to end the movie. It just wasn't uneven, uneven. Yeah, exactly. It's uneven. Um, so even with those concerns being established, and your, I always ask everyone with any movie that they watch, 
do you consider this movie to be a classic? Would I consider it to be a classic? I think I think everyone should watch this movie. I think it's one of the better movies made in the late seventies. But I, it it feels like there's a specific section of the people that would actually enjoy watching this movie, right? Because I know a lot of people that don't love watching violence, that don't like the glorified just blood and goriness, and all those people that would that do enjoy that type of thing, I think would love this movie because it's so accurate, it's so realistic. Like it's only it, it feels like it only pertains to those people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So did you like enjoy- it was too go- Like I love like I'm a person that loves gore and just is like if you're gonna make a movie gory, make it as gory as you can, but make it look real. And but it feels like for people that don't feel the same way that I do about that, like it's kind of a washable at points. Did you? But did you not like? The, did you like the movie? Or did you like overall? Like did you enjoy the movie? Yeah, I would definitely. I would say I'd watch it again. I'm not saying that. It's one of those movies where if I saw it on TNT or TBS on a replay or, or even HBO, I'd be like, oh my God, put everything down, make myself popcorn, and just plop myself in front of a TV for three hours, three and a half hours based on commercials. But it's definitely a good movie. I, I enjoy the movie thoroughly. But it's not one of those movies where I'd be like, oh my God, I'm going to drop everything screw work, screw school, screw all that stuff and just go watch out of my way. <laughs> do you do that for The Dark Knight? I'm getting that vibe. Is that oh my you? god, easily. I'll, I'll schedule my entire night around The Dark Knight. For The Dark Knight, I'm not kidding you, I'll literally look up when it's playing like two weeks in advance and I plan. Oh I plan no, you it. don't. No. <laughs> I dress up as Heath Leather's Joker. <laughs> practice my Christian Bale Batman voice talking about hockey pads. Oh wow, yeah, that's a great movie. It's a great I'm, a, I, I'm a fanboy. I'm a fanboy. I'm I'm ashamed. Yeah, proud to say that I'm a little bit of a fanboy. Not gonna lie. Oh man, it, it's a fabulous movie. I, I would I would say that this is a classic. Uh, I think it's a better. I think it's a good movie. Out of the eight now that I've seen, I'd rank this in the middle tier. I'd for sure rank it in the middle tier. Out of the eight that I've seen. Uh, if you take out the last 30 minutes, I'd probably put it at third, right on behind Blade Runner in Chinatown, something like that, but with the, with kind of the, the anticlimactic ending that was more like Apocalypse, uh, more like Space Odyssey than Blade Runner, kind of knocks it down a few pegs, but we're, but it's still a very good movie, I thought, got nominated a lot, and obviously I think Federer, you kind of agree, it's a, it's a good movie. Uh, so you have any oh, last? It was a very good movie. You have any last words? It's really your time to shine. Holla at whoever you want to holla at, and just whatever you want to talk about. This is as the podcast ends. I think we've done a great job here, not being sarcastic at all, breaking down our thoughts on apocalypse. Now, now let's. I want to bring it back to real world events with the coronavirus. Now, I know you're a big sports fan. Am I right to say that, or assume so, James? No, you're. That's accurate. Very so much so. What were your thoughts on the first two parts of The Last Dance? Oh, he knows it. Last Dance. Last Dance for Love. I've messed up the lyrics, I know. But that's a great song, by the way. I actually liked I liked it a lot. I was a little worried that it'd be anticlimactic because I thought it was only based in, like, the one season. But the first thing they're going back and talking about, like, his college days and 
Scottie Pippen and like I think it's very good. I, I think I think it's a very complete documentary. I don't love the fact that they're pinning everything on Jerry Krause. It's a little mess. Yeah, he's he's literally like the second most hated person in America right now behind Carol Baskin. I don't even know who that is. Do I actually know who Carol Baskin is? You haven't watched you haven't heard of Tiger King? Oh, that gimmick. Yeah, no, I I I don't watch Netflix, unfortunately. Carol Baskin. Killed her, buzzed him, whacked him. Yeah, they're they're those they're this, that's that's a, if you like the shows like that, man, this is this is a hell of a show for you, man. They're they're wackies, those people. Uh, as, J- as JR would say, they're they're over the border. Now from Oklahoma. The guy was born in Texas and grew <laughs> up in Kansas. So good old JR. Speaking of TNT, plug for AEW Dynamite. I had to do that, so you brought it up. But if you look at, uh, you know what? If you're looking for sports to be watching right now, go watch AEW. If you liked wrestling during the Attitude Era, if you watched it uh, with like Taker and Hogan and Flair what, and Stone Cold, you're gonna love you're gonna love AEW. I'm telling you right now, it's the best wrestling you're gonna you're gonna watch in a long time. That's my plug for the day. All right, all right. I respect it. So, I have to say, though, I have to say, The Last Dance is absolutely amazing. I can't wait to watch the second or part three and four. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Well, that was a great plug for you, uh, Feta. So I thank you so much. Um, and on behalf of, I guess, Feta and myself, stay well, right? I'm honored that you add me on as a as a guest here, I'm hoping to become kind of a regular. I enjoy my time. You were great. You and were yeah, great. Yeah. The last dance, baby. Last chance for love. Uh, all right. Thanks, guys. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not her. Bye, bye. Thank you, guys, and stay well.